welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Hey, Kingdom Culture family. So good to see you for our online experience once again, uh, coming at you via YouTube, Facebook, probably Instagram. I really hope that you can engage Hit the like button, share, subscribe to our channel. Help us spread the news. Help us encourage someone today. We are in the last week, week five of our Breaking Through You series. We've been talking about what it looks like to break through things on the inside so that we can break through things on the outside. And a lot of us just think about breaking through like we're breaking through in our finances, we're breaking through in our marriage, we're breaking through in our body, and we're breaking through in our job, our career, whatever the case may be. And we forget that often those things only happen because we've taken the time to break through some things on the inside, the mindsets that hold us back from actually breaking through into the arena of the tangible. We have to move from the intangible to the tangible. So this message, now, as you know, the first four weeks, we were camped out in First and Second Peter. Last week was a little bit of a heavier message, a longer message. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. Um, but this week, uh, I don't know if it will be as heavy, but we're going to dive into something very important, and we're not going to stay in First and Second Peter. This is going to be the first week, the only week, because it's the last week of the series, that we're not going to be camped out in First and Second Peter. And uh, there's a reason for that. I just, I just felt like inspired by God to. Um, add this in. I, I feel like it's a huge part of our journey to breaking through you, breaking through us, breaking through things on the inside. So let's start off with God's original intent for mankind, reading out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. By the way, this topic should be, probably will be, I don't know, an in-depth teaching series at some point, because um, we are talking about identity again. We kind of addressed a little bit of that last week, but we're going to dive into it a little bit deeper today. And so I'm hoping this will be a little bit shorter, by the way, um, but we'll see how it goes. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, okay? Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign, they will reign, keyword, they will reign, okay? They will lead, they will uh, take dominion is the word, they will rule, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and small animals that scurry along the ground. So God, verse 27, created human beings in his own image. Remember, there was male and female created in his own image. The, in the image of God, it says he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God said in verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Part of fruitful and multiply 
could only take place because there was male and female, okay? Male and female go together to multiply. It's the only way to multiply life is with male and female. Very important. Fill the earth and govern it, okay? Now, let's just go down to the last part of the verse here, verse 31, the last part of the passage. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. On the sixth day, this all took place, which is why six is the number of men, okay? And that represents biblical numerology, the number of men. But God looked over all he had made and saw it was very good. It went from good to very good after humans were in the mix. Now, like I said, I want to interject this shorter encouragement, hopefully it's shorter, God willing, into the close of this series for week five. And I'm calling it, write this down, intangible prosperity dealing with identity poverty. Now, I know we did a series a little while ago called Prosperity Isn't a Dirty Word. And if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. And we're not really talking about the things that we talked about in that, but we are kind of, um, what we're addressing today is connected, of course. And we're talking about intangible, as I said, Everything that we're addressing in this series is the intangible, okay? The things on the inside. And we're going to be dealing with what is called, what I would call, and many would call, and I think even the scripture would allude to, is the identity of poverty, okay? The prosperous soul is one that aligns with our original design. I'm not talking about material possessions, material prosperity, okay? Or material poverty, okay? I'm talking about the intangible prosperity that comes up against and has to continue to squash out the internal or intangible uh, mindsets of poverty that say we're not worth it. We don't have value. We, we, nothing good will ever come to our life. There, we're always going to fail. That is a mindset of poverty or an identity of poverty. But to, to have a prosperous soul is to continue to align with our original design. God created us both male and female in his own image to be fruitful and multiply, okay? The prosperous life is one that continues to multiply. Inner breakthrough always equals and should always equal outer breakthrough. In the kingdom, we go from an innie to an outie for all the belly button lovers out there. We go from an innie to an outie. We want to live our outside life from a conquered life on the inside. We live from victory, not for victory. I know, um, and, and, uh, and I know, like I said, like, that we spent so much time on First and Second Peter in the last four weeks, but I just really feel like we we need to address this and continue to address this idea that first of all, prosperity isn't a dirty word. Like I said, we did a series on that, but we're gonna go a little bit deeper, and I want to hone in on not like I said, material prosperity or material poverty, but a mindset of prosperity and a mindset of poverty that either is God's plan or anti-God's plan. Write this down. We live by what we identify by. We live by what we identify by. There truly is an identity crisis in the world today, and there really has been since the beginning of time. People are looking for their new identity constantly at the gym. They're going to find a new identity. They're going to find a new confidence. They're going to find, and I'm speaking about, when I say identity, okay, let me just, um, I. Uh, define something first. To identify is to receive our source of validation, worth, 
and value from whatever, or in our case, whomever we identify with, okay? The world defines value this way, in the sense of, you know, who, who am, whomever I'm with, or, or whatever I do, or this new persona that I can create, or this new look that I can have, or this new clothes that I, these new clothes that I can buy, or whatever the case may be, new job, new career, really is a way of receiving validation, worth, and value. Therefore, I'm identifying with that thing as something that's bringing me these elements, these this validation, this worth, this value, okay? So when I say we live by what we identify by, this is what I'm talking about. Now, of course, as believers in Christ, we don't identify by what we do. We don't find validation and worth by the, you know, the, the people that we associate with. You know, we the Jesus wants us to find our identity solely in him. Now, I'm not saying that we don't get value and we don't find worth in the things that we do, but that's just simply not how what we're talking about. We're not talking about being identified with those things, okay? And I said there's there's an identity crisis in the world since the beginning of time, and people are looking for their new identity, whether it's at the gym, like I said, in a relationship, career choice, sexual identity, it's a big one, the list goes on. And they're looking because really it's been lost since the beginning, as I've said. Society seems to push this harder than ever these days. And the truth is, and we're gonna continue to hone in on this, is that we find our identity as sons as the most important identification there is. That when I say sons in scripture, I'm talking about you daughters as well, okay? When I say sons, it's not gender specific. But our whole inheritance as children of God is wrapped up in this revelation and understanding of who we are as sons of God, okay? And we will address this in a little bit. But in a culture where everyone is creating identities, as I mentioned last week and as I kind of previously mentioned in the beginning, let me just remind us all that there is only one creator. He created our identity. Just one for you to be defined as. And that's, like I said, sonship, son. You are a son of God, not gender specific. It's a thousand, it's a million percent spiritual identification, okay? We are not identified by all the things the world says we should be identified with about our orientation, our sexuality. We are identified as sons. We are identified by God himself. We are created in his image to fulfill, to be fruitful and multiply while we are on the earth, to advance his kingdom, to love like he does, to lay down our life for another. We are identified by him and what he's done for us. We find our value, our validation, our source of worth from him and him alone. It all exists within the realm of his love towards us, and that's why we are able to love. Remember, Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, not just to look like us in the image of us, but to be like us, to represent us, to be our ambassadors on the earth. How we live life, what we do, what we value is all a reflection of how we identify. Remember, we live by what we identify by as, okay? Our walk Write this down, our walk reflects how we identify. Speaking, of course, symbolically here, but when we get our spiritual identity right, healthy living, living happens, which is the walk we're talking about. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse three. You can identify 
a fool or identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. Okay, often they're their what they represent in their walk, speaking symbolically again, not talking about their physical walk, okay, but their spiritual walk. You can identify what someone is identifying with based upon their lifestyle, based upon how they live their life. Now, we're going to talk about where our false identity was created, and uh, we're going to call it our worldly identity, okay, where we move from clarity to confusion, that's what we're talking about, because we are in a confusing time, okay? We are in a, in, a, in, a, in a season where society is screaming. Basically, it's okay to be confused about your identity. Screaming, you don't need clarity, you need confusion. Without really saying it, saying it. You don't need clarity, you can't be confident in who you are, you can pick and choose who you wanna be, when you wanna be it. You And I'm talking about, you know, uh, uh, sexual orientation, I'm talking about how you identify as a man or a woman. I'm talking about these things that we believe conservatively have been laid out in scripture, okay? We call, this is confusion, and God wants to bring us clarity. There's an identity uh, identity confusion right now, and literally it's the epitome of the worldly identity that was caused at the fall in the beginning. I'm gonna read it to you. This is where our false identity was created, and this is where the confusion began. Genesis chapter two, verse 16 to 17. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Verse 17, accept the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Verse 18, God decided to make him a helper, created Eve. And this is it, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. So remember, there was a tree. God said, you can eat off every tree in the garden, but this one tree, knowledge of good and evil, okay? You can do everything but this one thing, okay? If you do this one thing, you're going to bring confusion into the world. You're going to bring confusion into you and who you are right now. Who you are is defined by whose you are. You and I were in perfect union, perfect harmony. Speaking of God to Adam and Eve, his creation, okay? They were in perfect, unhindered uh, harmony at this point. God said, you can do whatever you want, frolic around, naked for all I care, eat off every tree, enjoy the fruit of the land of this one tree. I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose every day to align yourself with the identity, okay, of being my son, the identity of being my daughter, the daughter, but the identity of being one with me in union. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a choice. You might want to separate from that union or separate from that identity and go your own way and re-identify yourself by eating off this tree called independence. Instead of being interdependent or dependent on God, to be independent is if you go and you eat off of this tree. So Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say you must not eat the tree or eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Now, that word for shrewd means cunning. He was crafty. The devil came in with a question that caused Eve to question the plan over her life, the perfect will of God over her life, the identification that she had had in union with God, in unison with God, obedience and surrender to God, clarity of who she was, clarity of what she was, the enemy came in cunning and crafty, okay, he was shrewd, caused her to question that identity. 
And in that causing, that questioning of her identity, the battle began. The battle began. This was the battle, the beginning of the battle for identity, the battle for identity. In the world, our own thoughts, our own desires, the pressures around us are constantly causing us to question who we are and ultimately sabotaging the revelation of whose we are. And Eve was caught up with the identity the world had to offer, independence from God in this moment. Let's read it in verse six, chapter three. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate, and then in that moment, both of their eyes were opened, okay, to evil. At this point, they had no consciousness of evil. They had no awareness of sin, okay? only an awareness of righteousness. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, which was to evil. They had a consciousness of evil, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. All of a sudden, shame. All of a sudden, condemnation. They covered what was beautiful in shame because now they were re-identified by independence from God. They were identified as being dependent on God, with God, unity, unison, uh, a union, perfect union, undivided harmony. And now, because of a decision of disobedience, they, in a sense, they separated themselves from God. God didn't separate himself from them. They chose to reject God in that moment. And now they were re-identified by a new nature called a sin nature, and which is the whole premise of the gospel, Jesus coming, as Paul calls him, the second Adam, okay, to reconcile us back to the original plan of God. It's almost like restore us back to the garden life again in relationship with God, where we can be once again dependent upon God. And there would no longer be a fig leaf, no longer be a covering, um, a temporary covering, to block our vulnerability towards God in relationship because fig leaves represent the ways of the world, okay? Represent a, cover, a shameful covering. We'll get into this later on if we have time. What's pleasant to the sight or the eyes does not mean it's right. Yes, we're we were created for pleasure, but sourced in relationship with our creator. Our eyes, listen to this, are leading and motivating where our culture is going. We see what's happening and we get dragged into new belief systems, kind of like Eve. We saw it's a tree desirable to make one wise. It was pleasant to the eyes. We see what's happening in the world right now, and because we see what's happening in the world, it causes us sometimes, if we don't have a solid grounding, secure footing, like we mentioned last week, to compromise our biblical stance on things, our biblical values on things, our biblical morale on things, because we see everything else and we're not seeing the word. We're seeing everything else and we're not seeing Jesus and, the, and his plan and his purpose within it all. So we see what's happening, we get dragged into new belief systems. We see injustice, so our, comp, our compassion begins to blind us from the truth. We see pain, so we compromise our purpose to get into battles that are not ours to fight. We see struggle, so we sacrifice our strength in areas of life to accommodate. We see the questioning of faith, so we begin questioning our faith. Now, injustice, pain, struggle, questioning of the faith will always take place, okay? It will always take place. It will always happen. It's been happening since the beginning of time. And all 
need to be addressed. We need to continue to address these things, but not in the way that so many in the church are going about it. I'm speaking to current, present societal pressures and struggles right now, okay? Now, let me just go back for a second because when it talks about um, uh, Eve seeing the tree desirable to make one wise, the moment she took eat of that, took part in that, ate that fruit, okay? It would mean that sin would multiply through her into all mankind, okay? Which is why a sinless sacrifice had to come to break the line, to break the chain, Jesus Christ, okay? Born of a virgin, okay, had to come to make a sinless sacrifice, okay? Was not born with sin, was not born of sin, was born of God, divinely born of God, okay? It wasn't the seed of Joseph, Mary's fiance, that gave Jesus what he was as a person. It was the seed of God in Mary, okay? This is why Jesus had to come, born of a virgin, had to come as a sinless sacrifice, okay? The purity of the womb of Mary literally housed the Savior of the world, okay? But I'm not going to get into that right now. But I'm, I'm just saying that uh, that 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 the enemy knew that if 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 he could just get her high hooked on that fruit, that everybody born after Mary would be born into a spiritual prison, would be born into sin. Adam and Eve are not born into sin. Adam and Eve were created by God himself, okay? From the dust of the earth, and then from literally man himself, God created women, okay? After that, everybody was born of man, okay, born of sin, born into sin, which is why Jesus had to come, the second Adam, okay, to bring us out of that place, to sever the line of sin, to remove our sinful nature once and for all, spiritually circumcise us, as Colossians says, as Paul addresses, so that we can be set free. Romans 6 says that sin no longer has any mastery over us because that sinful nature has been destroyed, okay? But when you look at when you look at the word iniquity, okay, which is the state of sin that came as a result of this action, when you look at the word iniquity in the Hebrew and you break it down, it actually makes up, because each each Hebrew uh, letter is also a picture, okay? It draws a picture, which creates a new definition, a new understanding, a new layer of understanding. And when you break down that word iniquity, okay? When I, once, I say, once, I, once again, the, the, the word iniquity, okay, is the state of sin that we are all born into, okay? Breaking that word down, it actually means whatever your eye hooks into multiplies, okay? So the enemy knew that if she, he could get Eve's eyes to hook into that tree and that fruit, that tree that would be desirable to make one wise, false wisdom, okay? Not godly wisdom, false wisdom, worldly wisdom. The enemy knew that would every, everybody born after her would be born into a state of sin, as I said, because whatever you're a high, whatever you focus on, you empower. Whatever you empower multiplies in your life. And so Eve's eyes were hooked into the beauty of that fruit, and therefore it multiplied as sin, as iniquity into all men. Kind. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Remember, there was shame. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? Not because God didn't know where 
he was. God knows everything. God knew. God, in fact, already had planned redemption since the beginning of time before Adam and Eve were even ever created, which is mind-blowing, because God knew that even with free will, what man would choose doesn't mean man, doesn't mean that God controlled the individual, doesn't mean that God made Adam and Eve do that. He just knew. He knows what you're going to do before you do it, okay? Because he's almighty God, okay? He's not just omnipresent, he's, omni uh, he's omnipotent, okay? Omniscient, okay? So he says, where are you? Verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Wait a minute, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Not because God once again was confused, God knew what was going on. God wanted to hear Adam address his own position. God wanted Adam to locate his current condition. Because if we can't locate our current condition, we can't adv advance into a solution. We can't move forward in life. If we can't figure out where we're at, where we currently stand, we cannot take the next step moving forward. But this was the beginning, okay? This was the beginning of this false identity that was placed onto Adam, which even to this day, even as believers, okay, still sometimes struggle with. We struggle with the new identity as sons that came as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. We look back from Adam all the way to Jesus, this battle of identity. I mean, we had to sacrifice animals to atone for our sin, but then Jesus came as the last sacrifice, the sinless lamb, the lamb who was slain for the foundation of the world according to Revelation. He had to come and die for our sin as, a, as one last sacrifice so that we could be redeemed and, and restored back to God's original plan. But even though we've accepted that, and even though we believe that, we are continuing to be renewed in our thinking every day so we don't fall back into the mindset trap that we still are under an old identity. And this is part of what we're talking about this morning, okay? Now, the search for identity in, in culture really... Uh, happens between the age of 12 and 19. And I think nowadays it's even getting lower where people at age of eight, nine are trying to figure out their identity. Here's the thing. I mean, in Jesus's culture, you weren't even really a truly a man until you were 30. That's why Jesus was baptized at the age of 30. And that was the first time we hear the words son. Okay. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. At the age of 30, it was the age of maturity almost from like childlike uh, or childlikeness to sonship like now you're now you're ready for the inheritance i mean we're still figuring ourselves out you guys not 8 9 10 12 you're not you're not figuring out who you are at that age you cannot figure out what you're about at that age give me a break i'm still figuring out at my age right now who i am as a son, what does that look like in this season? What is that? It's always unfolding. Our identity as sons is always unfolding like a giant ball of spiritual yarn. There's never an end to it. So sonship is about coming into mature, maturation. It's about going from spiritual childhood to sonship. And in the process of that, there is always moments of identity confusion. And confusion reigns in this between phase, okay? And this is where some would ask the question, um, like, can, can you can you revert back? Like, once you figure out who you are, can you revert back? Absolutely. We heard last week that you can become nearsighted, or two weeks ago, nearsighted and blind, you know, falling away from the faith. No one is invincible. No one is invincible. 
And once again, we're talking about wrestling with earthly identity and wrestling with our sonship identity and, and what it looks like to continue on this road of developing who we are as sons and coming against this false identity that the world's trying to place on us right now. I mean, from a worldly standpoint, one study notes that the chief conflict facing adolescents at this stage is one of identity versus identity confusion. Hence, the psychosocial task for adolescents is to develop individuality. To form an identity, adolescents must define a personal role in society and integrate the various dimensions of their personality into a sensible whole. They must wrestle with issues such as selecting a career, college, religious system, and political party. But my question is this, what if they can't? What if they can't figure this out? They begin to form their own identity in other destructive ways. Now, I'm speaking from a, a worldly standpoint right now. We're not, we're not talking about, for a second, the spiritual side of our identity. We're talking about what the world is declaring over our culture, the studies that we have done, which I think are very valuable, and I believe they're very valuable. But once again, we're not talking about our worldly identity, where we find value, worth in society. We're talking about our spiritual identity. But what if people don't find worth and value in society? and they can't figure out where they fit, and they've been hurt, and they've been traumatized, and there has been pain, rightly so, it's hard. What happens is they begin to develop their own identity, defining themselves, not letting society define them, they define themselves, and often what ends up happening is destructive behaviors and habits begin to overthrow their life. And this is sad and it's harmful. And this is why we need to know whose we are and who we are in Jesus and what we were created for and how are we how we were created and the original design and plan of God to be destined as sons of God. Speaking not gender specific again, sons of God. This was the plan since the beginning of time that we'd be adopted into the family of God and walk with him and, and literally celebrate and experience the beauty of the relationship that we, 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 were, we were created to have with our creator. In the end, people are trying to be someone they're not to get something they can't. And this is the confusion. People are trying to be someone they're not to get something they can't. They want validation, they want worth, they want to feel valued, and they're just not going to get it from the world the way they were created to get it from God. And so they want to redefine themselves because they can't figure themselves out destructive things begin to happen in their life, destructive behaviors that begin to rob them of life and the fullness of life they were created to have. And so people are trying to be someone they're not to get something that they can't. And this is really sad. And to make this a little more practical, I want to move into three questions because this is the thing. The test of the mindset of sonship, I believe, can be done with three simple questions. Remember, we're talking about intangible prosperity, okay? The prosperous soul, the prosperous internal spirit, dealing with the identity of poverty, okay? A poverty mindset or identity of poverty is an identity that doesn't know whose they are, that doesn't know who they are, that's seeking to find validation and worth from everywhere else but the one who created them himself, okay? And so three questions every son, every son should ask, to see where poverty is assaulting 
our mindsets because these questions really expose and magnify areas of our life where we can feel poverty assaulting us to bring us back into a place that we're not created to go because we're created to walk as sons and continue to renew our mind in this space. Number one, do I deserve it? Do I deserve it? This is a mindset of, well, I mean, of course, when you say yes, you exhibit a mindset of prosperity. Do I deserve it? Do I deserve good things? Do I deserve to win? Do I deserve to succeed? As a son, once again, speaking of our spiritual identity, do I deserve to have God's best in my life? If the answer is yes, it's a mindset of prosperity. That means that you're developing that intangible, prosperous soul. Do I deserve a good family? Do I deserve, you know, good health? But on the other side of it, you may feel like, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything good. I deserve to struggle. I deserve to have failed marriages. I deserve to have failed parenting. I deserve to have failed relationships, failed career, job to job. I deserve it all because I'm just a bad person because I don't know whose I am. I don't know what Jesus has done for me. I don't know that he's re-identified me as a son. And I know for me that this this is my one of my sonship challenges that I go through all the time. When something good happens, sometimes I think my first thought is, oh, I don't, I don't just I don't deserve that. I, I, I don't deserve that. And I can identify where there's poverty trying to creep into my mindset. And I'm like, no. And I have to fight it sometimes. I have to fight it. God, you've designed me. Uh, you, you've created me to have a prosperous soul, a prosperous mindset, to accept good, to accept success, to accept the advancement, the multiplication of my life, the fruit that you are bringing to my life. And I'm always asking me this myself, this question. I remember one time, you know, it was a really intense season at the church. This was back in, I think, 2014. And uh, gone through some really challenging times for a lot of specific reasons. A lot of shifting was happening in this season. Um, some just, yeah, just hard things just in leading a church through a hard season. And I remember at the time also compounded with that, my wife's health was failing and falling pretty hard. In fact, she was not pregnant, but everybody everywhere we went people would say oh congratulations you're pregnant you know how far along you were because she had inflammation in her body in her intestines and she was sick she wasn't doing well it was just after our third child we hadn't even had our fourth child yet and we thought for sure we're never going to have a fourth kid and her health was just deteriorating and just, it was lots of pressure on all sides of the coin there was some big stuff happening even with our building at the time and just pressures from all around. And I remember in that time, two businesses, two businessmen sat me down at a restaurant and they just began to inquire of me how I was doing. And, um, you know, after a conversation, and I did not expect this at all, they said, we want to send you away, you and your wife, for all expenses paid, five-star resort, anywhere you want to go, all-inclusive, paid, everything paid. We want to send you there just to bless to uh, bless you and your wife, to give you some time to like rest, rejuvenate, restore, heal a little bit. And it was absolutely like mind blowing. But I remember leading up to the trip, just feeling like I didn't deserve it. Like I didn't deserve it. Um, you know, I kept thinking this to myself and people kept saying to me like, while we were going on this trip, you deserve it, you deserve it. And even though people were saying it to me, I kept hearing my own thoughts, my own narrative. You don't deserve it, you don't deserve it. Because somehow I felt like 
my or believed that my personal health, my spiritual health, and or my marital health wasn't as valued as me being there every week, bringing the word and leading the church. And at the time, we had 12 uh, full-time staff. And so lots was going on, not just paid staff. All, of course, uh, tons of volunteer staff. But there was lots of pressure in that time. And I felt like I'm leaving here. I'm going. We have this all-expenses-paid trip. My wife and I are going. You know, I'm pawning my ki three kids off to get— like, There was like three different— types of babysitters during that 10 days because three kids under the age of, I think at the time, like four or five uh, for 10 days is a long time. And I remember I struggled to believe and God had to work out this poverty mentality in me that said, I, I didn't deserve, I didn't deserve rest. I didn't deserve a break. I didn't deserve this strength. And I think a lot of us in other areas struggle with this at times, feeling like we don't deserve it. And the truth is we actually don't deserve it. But by his grace, which is undeserved, we have been qualified or requalified to deserve God's goodness. You know, it was yet while we are still sinners, sinners, Romans says that Christ died for us. Like we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. But by his grace, it overshadowed everything. And yet while we were still in our sin, messed up, Christ died for us. That's called grace. It's called undeserved favor. And that's what the whole gospel is about. It's the gospel of grace. Second question I want you to, I want us to ask ourselves, or I believe is a, is a good test, testing ground to how strong our sonship is, is do I have value? Do I have value? I mean, let's just read Ephesians chapter one, verse four to five. I kind of alluded to it earlier. It says, God chose us to be in a relationship with him even before he laid out plans for this world. That's amazing. He chose us to be in relationship with him even before he laid out plans for this world. Now, he's called us. He's chosen us. We don't have to accept it. We can reject it. In fact, a lot of us do. We, we don't accept what he's chosen for us. We don't accept his will, his design, or his desire for us. God shows us to be in relationship. This should scream you have value. The fact that he chose you to be in relationship with him even before he laid out the plans for this world. In fact, you as a human being were more important than everything this world, this worldly earth has to offer. You were the most important part of the equation. He wanted us, says here in verse one, to live, or verse four, to live holy lives characterized by love, free from sin and blameless before him. He destined us to be adopted. Remember this, I said this earlier. He destined us to be adopted as his children. Let's replace that with son. That's what he's talking about, our, our sonship. He, he destined us to be adopted as his sons, as his children, through the covenant Jesus the anointed inaugurated in his sacrificial life. This was his pleasure and will for us. He predestined us to be adopted. The adoption papers went out. All we had to do is accept. All we had to do is lean in. Whether or not I feel like I deserve something, comes from the truth of whether or not I feel like I have value. Does God look at me and see value? Does God look at you and see value? What do you believe? What do I believe? Are you worth it? If you have value, would that not mean that whatever it is that you are struggling to believe you deserve is in fact something you deserve? Because 
when you realize that you deserve something, it's only a reflection of the value that you have over your life. If I deserve it, I must have value. If I deserve a five-star, all-inclusive, all-paid-expense Mexico vacation, okay, if I feel like I can lean into that and believe that, then I must have value to God. My rest must have value to God. My marriage, my family, my health, my church, all these things, my businesses, all these things have value to God because if God values me, he knows that when I'm rejuvenated, when I'm restored, everything I touch succeeds. So I must have value. To believe that God cares about what I care about declares over my life that I have value. He values what I value. To give, you give to what you feel has value. I mean, God has seen value in you since the beginning of time. Ephesians chapter one, we just read it. He predestined us to be adopted. He chose us to be in relationship. And then John 3, 16, the whole gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave. You give what you see has, you give to what you think has value. Those that are part of kingdom culture, you invest and you give in generous generosity into the community and into kingdom culture as in our organization because you see value in putting God first in your finances as it pertains to the house of God. You see value, so you are generous towards the things that you see value in. And all this culminates into one, and I believe the most important question, to which every other question falls upon is this, number three, do I believe God loves me? Do I believe God loves me? John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I mean, the picture of Jesus on the cross is the perfect illustration to declare, hopefully define to you or um, prove to you as evidence that God absolutely adores you, absolutely loves you. First John 4, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. The only way and only reason why we can love like him and do what he wants and live the life of love we're called to live is because he first loved us. In that revelation, we find our sonship. To believe that God loves me, that God has a plan for me, to believe that I have an inheritance, to believe that he has reconciled, redeemed me, re-identified me, re-identified me, to believe that I have a new nature, to believe that I went from sin nature to righteousness, to believe that old things have passed away and all things have become new. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. To believe that is to believe that God loved me first, that God has a plan for me, that God cares about me, is to believe that I am a son and God has destiny over my life, that God has an inheritance for me to live out, to believe, to believe that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are literally living as sons. We're no longer slaves, but we are sons. Romans 6, verse 14, sin is no longer your master 
or has dominion. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under for the freedom of God's grace. No longer are we under that new, that old identity, that fig leaf identity of shame and condemnation. When Adam and Eve sinned, what they do? They hid themselves. They covered themselves. Shame. Because sin will always shame you. Sin will always condemn you. But now we no longer live mastered by that sin, covered by that shame. We live free because of what Jesus has done. Colossians 3 verse 10, put on your new nature, it says, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Colossians 2 verse 11 says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. It, he eradicated it from you. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I love it. On his way out, Jesus, about to die on the cross, Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, verse 13. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. It was a tree that caught his eye because he knew he was going to die on a cross to remove the shame, the condemnation that was covering humanity, that fig leaf, that false identity, that false covering. He wanted to remove it. So he, one of the last things he did was curse the fig tree, curse the fig leaf, curse the condemnation, because now the Bible says there is no longer any condemnation in Christ Jesus. That fig leaf represented the condemnation that had covered humanity for so many years that Jesus was going to literally remove that condemnation once and for all. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree interesting that in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 it was a tree that caught or lured Adam and Eve in and then it was a tree that we hid from God in in a sense of the fig leaf we we hid behind uh, a, a tree so to speak and it was a tree that now symbolizes our freedom the Bible says it's cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree Jesus died on a tree he died on a cross Matthew 27 verse 45 now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour there was darkness over all the land at the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eli Eli lama sabachthani that is my God my God why have you forsaken me? The first time that Jesus addresses God as God, not as Father. Because in that moment, he felt forsaken because sin became a roadblock for him. He couldn't see through our sin that was in his body. And in that moment, he felt he wasn't forsaken, but he felt like he was forsaken. Because everything Jesus had to go through was he went through as us. Because he knew there'd be moments that we'd feel forsaken. He knew there'd be moments that we'd feel abandoned, that we would feel as an orphan because orphans don't have connection with family. He knew that we would go through all these things. And so in that last moment, some of his last words were, where are you? Where are you? Kind of sounds like God's words to Adam. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Where are you? Something is blocking you from seeing my location. 
In that moment, Jesus had to feel forsaken so we could be set free, knowing that we will never be forsaken, never forgotten. Jesus will never forsake us. And we can read that in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, as to why there was this like blinder on Jesus in that moment, why he felt forsaken. And then John 19, verse 30, of course, we have the last and the closing experience that's changed everything for us was it is finished. The work of salvation is finished, was finished in that last moment on the cross, setting us free, re-identifying us as sons once and for all, restoring us back to the garden where we lost our identity in the first place and the wrestle for identity began. God restored us. God took us from confusion to clarity. If you're watching this morning, and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes, maybe you felt like you've been abandoned, you've been forsaken, you've been forgotten, left to kind of to die, figure out life on your own with no purpose, no plan. I wanna encourage you if, you, if you landed on this video, I believe you landed on this video for a reason. Wherever you're watching from, God has a plan for your life. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to reach out and just say yes. The invitation is there. Remember, Ephesians chapter 1, you were chosen. You were created for relationship with him. You were, there was a plan in God's heart from the beginning of time to destine you to become a son, to become a child of God. And all you have to do is say yes yes to the greatest message that was ever given, and it was a message of hope. Jesus died on a cross to literally destroy the separation that we as humans put up between us and God. It's called sin. He died to destroy that, sever it permanently, so we could live free and walk in unhindered, harmonious relationship with him. And if that's you, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that you will be saved. All you have to do is say yes. Say yes, Jesus, I believe that you are God. You are Lord. I want you to become Lord over my life. And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And I want a relationship with you. I commit my life. I put my life under your Lordship today in Jesus' name. If you said that, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. But now it's about commitment. It's about walking it out. A decision doesn't save you. Simply faith in Jesus and what he's done changes the game and saves you, transforms you, but it's an everyday thing that you keep unfolding as you pursue relationship with God. If you said yes today, I wanna to encourage you, reach out to the number or email on the screen. We'd love to invest in you, send you some information. We love you, Kingdom Culture. Let me pray for everybody watching right now. God, I pray that in this season, we would move from an identity of poverty into an identity of prosperity, and that God, you'd help us Help us find strength in this season. I pray, God, that you would give us answers, your answers to the I do I deserve it question, to, to the do I have value question, and to the do I believe God loves me question. Uh, these questions would be ran over and over again in our mind in this season, and that we'd come out, God, stronger. We'd come out better in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, Kingdom Culture. We'll see you next week. Wow, what an amazing, encouraging message. I'm yeah. loving the Breaking Through You series. I, I hope so that that good. has been speaking to your heart, that God's doing a lot of like heart's work yeah. in you, through you in this season. Excited, guys, that we'll be back here soon. If yeah. you made a decision today, we love you. We are encourage you. We want to follow up with you. Let us know by emailing prayer at kingdomculture.ca. We'd love to stay connected with you.
Absolutely. And we cannot wait to see you in person. So thank you for joining us this morning and we love you guys. Enjoy your week. Yes. Goodbye.